On the Empire Podcast this week, we're putting on our river dancing shoes and counting our threes and sevens as we're joined by the star of Blackbird, Michael Actual Flatley. And we'll be talking about the usual movie news and nonsense on the only movie podcast that celebrated its 10th birthday earlier this year, if you remember. So we still have 15 years to form a meaningful relationship with Leonardo DiCaprio. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris. I'm Chris Hewitt. Wait, no, I'm Helen O'Hara. <laughs> and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Our beloved leader is still, yes, on leave, but fear not because I am joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning that they're rated somewhere between a boomslang and a black mamba on the international venom scale. First up is social media ninja, Sophie Butcher. How are you doing, Sophie? Hello, I am very good. Thank you, Helen. Good, good. Taking a moment out of what's going to be a very busy day at the Empire office, I believe, because it's a new issue mm. just launching. It is. It is indeed. It's going to be a stacked one. Lots of internet things happening today, <laughs> it, but all good stuff. Internet <laughs> things. Awesome. This is why they pay you the big bucks, because of your internet it thing is, knowledge. because I know. Yep. Yeah, expert lingo there, as you can tell. And I am also joined by the lesser spotted Ollie Richards, who doesn't have spots, but hasn't been around here in a minute. That's why lesser spotted. Anyway. Hello, Ollie. How are you doing? Hello. Thank you for that unusual introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's, I, I, I was writing this very last minute. So. <laughs> I'm just checking in the camera now. And I know I don't think I have any spots today, which is, which is always a nice way to start the day. Exactly. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good way to get going. Um, so I've, I've put out a call for questions in loads of time, loads and loads of time. It was at least 10 minutes ago. Um, and the readers, God bless them, have come through, uh, in, in great numbers. Uh, so I have a couple of questions here. We're going to see how we do. First one is, I think really, especially for Ollie, um, and really, especially for Max, your dog, uh, because it comes from at underscore wex text. And the question is, if you could have any pet from any movie, what would it be? Oh, wow. Um, obviously, I'll cover my dog's ears while, uh, while I'm thinking about this. What pet would I have? I mean, the one that's coming to, to mind immediately is the dog from The Artist, who I'm so sorry, little dog from The Artist, I've forgotten your name. I mean, in fairness, it was, it was silent, so they probably didn't say it yeah, much. Exactly, exactly. I mean, he was delightful. Yeah. Uh, what would you choose? Oh, Toothless. Really? I mean, no. if that counts, if 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 that if dragons are pets, then toothless, <laughs> like with a bullet, no question. Yeah. I didn't know we were allowed to choose cartoon ones. I was literally just thinking dogs and cats. I'm thinking I can commute. You know, I can I can mm. go for like little jaunts around the country, uh, little day trips at the weekends. You know, put a, put a picnic basket on my dragon's back and go and have a lovely <laughs> sit down. Isn't it nice? Very helpful. <laughs> My first thought was weirdly um, the dog from I Am Legend. Is she called Sam? Yes, I think so. Like a German Shepherd, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing before she gets the zombie virus, like cut before it off that, at that point. Yeah, before that. She seems like a really good dog before that They're happens. They're all good dogs, so, so Or the cat from um, Inside Lewin Davis. He has a cat, right? There is a yes. cat. There is a cat. There is yeah, a although cat. the cat sometimes runs away and gets him in trouble, so I, I don't know about that. No. Well, that's cats for you. <laughs> yeah, cats are mischievous. That's just cats' vibe. Mm. I'm still, yeah, I'm still there. How about how about Jonesy from Alien? Like Jonesy's a survivor. The cat again. Do you know what? I'm not that familiar with Jonesy. <laughs> I feel like Jonesy's just his own guy. I mean, he doesn't do us a whole lot of being a pet, does he? True, true. But he does survive the alien, which, you know, is more than most of the humans can do. I just want to give him some props for that. That's pretty That's impressive. Very and actually stands up to it as well. Gives it a good yes. hiss. Yeah. A really good hiss. Like, excellent <laughs> work, Jonesy. Yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, look, I don't want to, I feel like we could talk pets all day and I have found the other question I wanted to ask. Mm. Now, this comes from 
at right his name is Michael and his his username is like underscores between all the letters of Michael so I'm not going to sign that out because I feel like we'd be here all day it's like <laughs> m underscore i underscores you know no so but it is a good question the question is with 3000 years of longings release best fake ears in movies now for those of you who don't Ooh. know and we will talk about this later 3000 years of longing has Idris Elba playing a jinn and he has sort of quite unusual ears they're almost like kind of if you, the shape of an elf ear, but almost the texture of an elephant's ear. It's an interesting thing that he's got going on. Wow. Um, does it count as a fake ear to say Mark Rylance in the BFG? <laughs> I mean, I know he's all fake, but they're very good ears. I'm assuming they are good ears. They are good, and they're sort of kind of wavy and stuff, aren't they? They're sort of. Yeah. I'm not much of an expert on fake ears. I can only think of hobbits and elves. Not hobbits, elves, sorry. From the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. Mm. My first thought was not film, sadly. It was TV and it was um, Lucienne from The Sandman. She's got mm. little pointy ears, mm-hmm. right? Those are very cute. She has great Those ears, nice yeah. Ones. Yeah. I mean, I think I probably have to go for Galadriel just to be boring. But like yeah. she, just because apparently that was her big thing. She wanted fake ears. That was one of the reasons that Kate Blanchett, serious actress, did Lord of the Rings. <laughs> that she, she quite fancied the elf ears and she got to keep some at the end. I think they all got their elf ears and their hobbit feet uh, to keep at the end. I wonder how long they last. Surely they, uh, do they not go off? I don't know. So they're, they're <laughs> latex, right? So I, I guess yeah. maybe if you're not wearing them and you're not getting, I don't know, sweat and ear grease on them, that sounds gross. Um, then <laughs> do you think she brings them out at parties? Like, I don't I know. I hope she busts go them on, out Kate, every get night the again. Ears out. Yeah, that'd be amazing. <laughs> Kate Blanchett getting drunk and going, shall I put on my elf ears? <laughs> would that be would, we hope so. would that be the first thing you'd ask Kate Blanchett to put on from her film career? Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. Yes. I've interviewed her several times and it's always the first question. Where are your elf ears? Yes. I've interviewed her as well. <laughs> I did you? not mention elf ears. Yeah, very briefly. Oh awesome. She was nice. Um, I don't know if I have or not. I don't think I have. I think I'd remember. Um, but no, she mm. wasn't. I'm pretty sure she wasn't wearing elf ears, even if even if I did, which is a bit of a shame. <laughs> I'm, I feel like there must be more. There must be great ears. Have there been no great boxer ears or ears ripped off? I mean, do we count the the ear cut off in Reservoir Dogs, for example? Yeah, I mean, it's just a regular ear, though, isn't it? I think I feel like it you is. don't get a huge variation in fake ears in movies. I, apologies if I'm if I'm you know. <laughs> misremembering the entire history of ears in film but it's it, it's mainly pointy I feel is like what you get yeah that's probably true pointy ears just look good on everyone right like I feel like everyone just looks a bit cooler with them I don't know what it is maybe that's just me maybe I just want pointy ears for myself <laughs> <laughs> so you want the dog from I Am Legend and pointy ears mm. in general pre-zombie dog, pre-zombie dog pointy ears pointy ears yeah this is going to be great for writing our Christmas lists this year. This will be fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, look, I, I, I feel like you're probably right. I feel like most of the fake ears in movies are just elves. Is there an elf that stands out? It is pretty much like Galadriel, right? I feel like. I kind of think of um, Hugo Weaving, isn't mm-hmm. it? In um, as Elrond. Lord of the Rings as well. Yeah. I feel like his stand out to me. It's appropriate, of course, that we are talking about Lord of the Rings this week as The Rings of Power starts on TV uh, tomorrow or today, probably, as you're listening to this. Uh, so uh, do do check that out. If you're after more ear action, there will be 
orc ears and elf ears <laughs> and hobbit feet or harfoot feet are plenty in that. Mm. No spoilers, obviously. But okay, so that is it. If you like your question read out in the Empire podcast, do please send it in. It's usually at Empire Magazine on Twitter. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or we won't see it. Or wait for Chris's panic shout out next week because it will be Chris back in the chair worrying about this stuff at that point. Also, just a couple of things while we're talking about sort of things that are happening this week, and we are about to get into movie news. But before we do, I want to point out it's um, £3 Cinema Day on Saturday. So if you're listening to this on Friday or early on Saturday, cinema tickets are going to be super cheap at a lot of cinemas. Not every single cinema in the country, but a lot of them this weekend are going to have super cheap cinema tickets. So um, if you'd like to go down and support your local cinemaplex, it is a good time to do so. They are only £3. This is not an advert. It's just something that I noticed was happening and that a few readers asked me to mention. So do look out for that. Okay. Time, however, for movie news. Did you guys see the Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey trailer? In, I was hoping that was going to come out of your mouth, Helen. Yes, I have. That was, must take the trophy for the weirdest trailer this week, or the weirdest anything that's happened this week in any field. <laughs> um, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. So can you explain what this is to people who haven't, haven't watched it yet and have that treat ahead of them? Yeah, so this is um, this is a horror film, basically, about Winnie the Pooh and best pal Piglet going on a killing spree. <laughs> so basically, Christopher Robin is in this, and it seems that like he was friends with Winnie the Pooh and Piglet somehow, um, and then he sort of abandoned them when he went to uni, I think, and then he comes back and sorts of sort of finds them um, in the midst of this killing spree, and they've gone kind of feral, um, and. From there, it looks like kind of a generic kind of slasher thing going on, but with Winnie the Pooh. Um, and Piglet too. How this came about, I don't know, but I'm really happy it exists. Um, <laughs> I think it's what we all needed this week. Jim. And this is allowed, isn't it? Because Winnie the Pooh is now public domain, so you can do literally anything you want. Like, yeah. Wow. So Disney, correct me if I'm wrong, but Disney owned the rights for however many years and now they can still carry on making all their Disney Winnie the Poohs as as we as we know and love. But now anyone can do it. We could make a Winnie the Pooh film if we wanted. Sh- I'm busy, so I can't. Oh, okay. I've got a oh. lot. Not this oh. week. Maybe next week. Okay. But is that a good, like? I guess I guess in many ways that's a good thing, isn't it? When something enters the public domain, people can just have at it. Well, speaking as your lawyer, Ollie, I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> yes, this is exactly it. That the characters have entered the public domain, not necessarily the depictions in the in the Disney films. You could not make a say like an animated film that used those designs for Winnie the Pooh and Piglet and all the rest, because that would be a breach of Disney's copyright. But the characters, the underlying stories, yes, are in the public domain. And that uh, does allow for films like this. Now there's a huge amount of controversy in copyright circles. You would not believe the kind of arguments they have, guys. It's thrilling. <laughs> um, but this is this is a genuinely interesting kind of conundrum and an interesting thing. Interestingly, Disney has been one of the great proponents of copyright law extension over the last hundred years or so. So basically, any time that Mickey Mouse looks like he might fall into the public domain, uh, the US Congress has suddenly lengthened the term of copyright that exists after a person's death. Um, so it's not, it's when, you know, when Walt Disney was around, I think it was lifetime plus maybe 20 or 30 years. It's now lifetime plus 90 years for most US copyright terms. So Mickey Mouse will eventually fall into the public domain in theory, but in practice, that's going to, it keeps getting pushed back and pushed back. So 
things like this happening uh, are interesting. Elements of the Sherlock Holmes stories are also, of course, in the public domain, which allows for lots of competing uh, Sherlock Holmes stories. But it is a bizarre uh, situation, yeah, because you can do anything you want with these characters. And that, you know, wouldn't really matter, except that increasingly our culture is kind of like cannibalistic and we keep dredging up familiar names and familiar properties rather than trying to invent new ones. And so this becomes more and more of a problem for studios as they go forward and they begin to lose some of these big characters. Um, So, yeah, it's a... it, you know, look, so far it isn't it isn't kind of hitting the cultural mainstays. Winnie the Pooh and Sherlock Holmes are probably the biggest ones that have been affected in recent years. But it is going to allow for people to do provocative things like this, which could be pretty fun. Um, I'm not saying this looks like the greatest slasher movie of all time, but it does look like a giggle. Um, so, yeah, yeah, looking forward to seeing Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Still waiting for a release date on that one, but we do now have the trailer. Are there any other genres we'd like to see Winnie the Pooh and Piglet and the gang take on a rom-com? <laughs> thriller, maybe? Sort of like paranoid Psychological thriller? Psychological yeah, I think so. Okay, what else have we seen this week? There's a, a first teaser for The Son, which is Florian Zeller's follow-up to The Father. Um, and uh, once again, has Anthony Hopkins in it, but now an entirely new family anchored by Hugh Jackman and Laura Dern. So if you're into essentially serious drama... That is the one to watch. It's a, a little bit less fun to talk about, I'm going to be honest with you. But, you know, it's doing the festival runs this uh, this year, so it's probably going to be in the Oscar conversation. We heard um, this week that Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio will get its world premiere at London Film Festival, which kicks off in October. Um, so that's exciting news. Obviously, we've got two Pinocchios coming mm. um, very soon. Uh, Robert Zemeckis is, is over at Disney but yeah this one Guillermo del Toro it's like stop motion um, it looks really brilliant and you know London Film Festival feels like a great place for it to be at so not too long to wait for that yeah, one I cannot wait for that one is that the one that's going to be on Netflix after it's tr- premiered at London yes I believe so, yeah, fabulous. yes. So even if you can't get yourself down to the London Film Festival, which of course is a good festival that Empire um, usually hosts a gala at, you know, you will be able to see it not too long after uh, on your on your home cineplex. Um, also this week, there was news of a new sci-fi thriller, which as you know, is my personal jam, uh, Ursa Major and Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Sochi Gomez from Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness uh, are going to be starring as mother and daughter Charlie and Natalie, uh, fighting for survival on an Earth-like planet and hiding from relentless hunters with a deadly storm approaching. So this could be quite cool. It's, it comes from Patrick Somerville, who's the showrunner on Station Eleven, which I'll be honest, I haven't seen yet, but I've heard nothing but good things about. And I'm always here for sci-fi. I'm a little bit traumatised, though, that Mary Elizabeth Winstead is now playing the mother of a teenager. I was thinking that. Yeah. yeah, I remember her playing cheerleaders. That's kind of, that's yeah. the that's the era I remember. But that was about two minutes ago. Wasn't that two minutes ago? Are we getting old, Ollie? I, What's I can't imagine we are. No, Sophie, stop looking. Stop looking at us like that. Stop. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Listen, I'm getting old. I'm thirty very soon. How dare you? It's, it's time. Time is ticking on. Outrageous. But yeah, it's quite nice to see. Um, Sochi getting a new role after Doctor Strange. Obviously, that was. A major thing. That's one of the, you know the first thing we've seen her in. It's great to see that she's following that up pretty soon. And yeah, I love Mary Elizabeth Winstead in just about everything she's in. So I am on yeah. board for this already. Yeah, it should be cool. Um, but yes, it's uh, it's due to start shooting fairly soon. The distribution rights are going on sale in Toronto, which is, I guess, why this announcement 
has been made when it has. Um, okay, so what else is happening? Uh, Kiefer Sutherland is going to be starring in the mutant, the Kane Mutiny Court Martial uh, for William Friedkin. So William Friedkin, the great director, back behind the camera. Mm. Um, he's been apparently looking at a lot of scripts in the last 10 years and hasn't seen anything he really wanted to do. But he thinks this is one of the best court martial dramas ever written. So that's pretty cool. That, I'm just trying to find, think of a long list of court martial dramas. Ah, <laughs> oh, A Few Good Men, Ollie. Come on. Yeah. And, I mean, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a film, isn't it? That's not a list. The, the, the Kirk Douglas one, is it Paths of Glory? And that one with um, Colin Farrell in like the Stalag with um, Bruce Willis. So come on, we've got at least three. That's a trend. Yeah, that's true. That's years. true. You can definitely build something on that. <laughs> so yeah, so this is about Lieutenant Commander Quig, who uh, stands trial for mutiny during World War II uh, for taking command of a ship where the, he feels the captain is acting in an unstable fashion and endangering the ship and the crew. This was, of course, previously made with Humphrey Bogart in 1954. And Robert Altman did a TV version, apparently, in 1988, which I haven't seen. So um, so yeah, this could be, it could be quite, kind of interesting. And look, if it's William Friedkin back, then that can only be one hope's a good thing. So uh, fingers crossed for that one. Mm. Something that broke only last night as we we're recording this is about House of the Dragon. Mm-hmm. So we know that a season two has been confirmed for it, which, I mean, is anyone surprised about that? I don't think so. But um, what is quite surprising is that there's been a bit of a shake-up in terms of the creators. So Miguel Sapochnik, who's like the core showrunner and director of season one, he's going to be stepping down for season two, mm-hmm. which is is quite surprising, I guess, because it seems to be it's getting very you know good reception all around. And um, Game of Thrones veteran Alan Taylor is going to join the team. Yeah. So I don't know what we think about that. Well, I mean, so Sapochnik's uh, official line, and, and in fairness, it does have the ring of truth to it is that he's exhausted because it's taken something like three mm. three plus years to get this show to the screen. And I think he just wants to go on and do other things. He is still working with HBO, it seems. So it's not like there's been some kind of rift or or bad feeling. Um, but so I think it probably is just exhaustion of I can't face going straight into another year of this. Oh my God. Um, mm. Alan Taylor, of course, did a lot of work on Game of Thrones uh, before going off and making the likes of Thor The Dark World. Um, so hopefully it will be the Game of Thrones director who turns up uh, on yeah. set of uh, Blood, and, Blood and Sand, Blood and Thunder, Blood and uh, Fire and Blood uh, and uh, House of That's the Dragon. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't mix it up with the Winnie the Pooh one. I've just, there's, there's so much. <laughs> Blood and Honey. I've been, <laughs> I've been honey. reading the Fire and Blood book, you see, to get my head around House of the Dragon and then just it all gets, there's a lot going on. Maybe we could have a mashup, fire and blood and honey. Fire, fire and blood and together. Honey. Who doesn't want to see dragons and Winnie the Pooh? I mean, I do. I, now I do. They're going to have to wait a few years until um, until the George R. R. Martin books are out of out of copyright, aren't they? J- just a few, yeah. <laughs> it's so, going to be some years plus ninety. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so twenty one something. We'll meet back here. Twenty one twenty something. We'll meet back here. We'll heads in jars. We'll come back <laughs> yeah. and discuss it. <laughs> Futurama style. It's going to be awesome. Okay. Fire and Blood and Honey. You heard it here first, people. So also happening uh, this week, there's a bit more casting news. Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, has apparently joined the Beverly Hills Cop movie. That's Beverly Hills Cop, colon, Axel Foley. Eddie Murphy, of course, back. And Zola's Taylor Page um, has also 
joined them. So this has been in the works for approximately, I think I'm just counting here, one million years. <laughs> we know that Mark Malloy is directing, Will Beale wrote the most recent draft of the script. But yeah, so it's now Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Eddie Murphy and and I guess uh, Taylor Page, who was very good. If people haven't seen Zola, that's the film based on the series of tweets. Um, but she's really, really good in it. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing with Eddie Murphy is you're, you're always hopeful, aren't you? Yeah. He rarely, he rarely rewards that hope, but every <laughs> but now sometimes. and again he does. Every now and again, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Dreamgirls, he was fantastic. He, he can was do terrific. Th- he can do things. It's just a question of whether he turns up on the day and, and does it. Yeah. yeah. Is that is that the last good thing he's done? No, there's been something said. No, um, uh, the the Dolomite is my name. Ah, Dolomite yes. was great. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, Taylor Page is great. That gets me interested in this. Um, Zola was one of my best, one of my favourite films from last year. Was that last year? Is yeah, that just because you're like social media person? <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, she's fantastic. So I think that's exciting bit of casting. I'm great to see her in something new coming up. Yeah, I'm just interested by like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Is he like the sort of Judd Reinhold role? You know, is he the kind of slightly nerdy white guy role playing off Axel Foley? Is he the baddie? I feel like I'd be surprised if he was the baddie. I mean, he wasn't a super good guy in Looper. You know, he was kind of an assassin and such, for example. Yeah, but he had so. a Bruce Willis vibe in that. So oh, he was, that's fine. Then. He was not using his own vibe. <laughs> no. He was borrowing he was, a vibe for that. He was borrowing other vibes. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. There was also this week um, Alejandro G. Inaritu. Mm-hmm. That's probably a terrible pronunciation. Inaritu, I believe. His new film, Bardo, got a new poster, mm-hmm. which was intriguing. Obviously, the director of The Revenant. So, And it's quite an interesting poster. It's like quite minimal. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's going to come to Netflix um, on the 16th of December. So still a little way yet, but it follows um, Silverio, who's a renowned Mexican journalist and documentary filmmaker in LA. And he's named the recipient of a, an award and he returns to Mexico, but gets pushed to some some limits and some challenges come back to him as he returns. So mm. that's interesting. Bit of a change of pace for him, maybe, but sounds interesting. This is his first since The Revenant, isn't it? 2015, so it's been seven years, which is long oh. for him. He used to be, like, he went from Birdman to Revenant in, like, one followed the year after. Double Oscars. Yeah, mm. um, yeah good to see him back. I mean, I know not everyone loves Birdman, but he's, he's never boring. Mm. No, and yeah, this is. I think this is going to be an interesting one. He, uh, uh, this, you know, this does use the word existential limit in the the sort of synopsis that's been floating around. So I think it's going to be a bit more, whoo, la la, um, than mm. a, a sort of physical set of challenges. But, but yeah, I mean, look, I, I would understand anybody needing a sit down after the Revenant, where they sort of were <laughs> apparently they were apparently you know they were out in the wilderness. The story I heard was that they managed about 15 minutes of shooting a day because they were determined to do as much of it as possible at the magic hour. And so they were, had mm. to be ready to go basically as the sun began to set and then like shoot like mad for 15 minutes and then just freeze for the rest of the day. So, you know, I can imagine you wanting to sit down in a nice cup of hot chocolate for seven years after that, if I'm honest. I am, I am not <laughs> begrudging the man a break. I think if you win a Best Director Oscar two years running, you're allowed to take as long off as you like. Um, and Bardo's at Venice, isn't it? So we should know what, we should know how people feel about that pretty soon. 
Yes, very much so. So the Venice Film Festival is underway as of uh, a couple of days ago, as you're listening to this, and uh, the yeah, all the all the premieres are happening there now. I mean, it used to be that Venice was kind of a, a little bit less important festival than Cannes. For me, nowadays, it feels like more of the official start of Oscar season. Yeah, I think definitely. Venice and Toronto mm. tend to have most Best Picture winners uh, debuting there, and, uh, and Venice has really stepped up its game in that respect in the last few years. It's also going to have like big buzzed about films like Don't Worry Darling is going to be there, although most of the buzz about that, in fairness, has been confusing and uh, contradictory and uh, mm. gossip-based and uh, distracting. So, hey. So yeah, just before we um, wrap up the news section and, and look ahead to, to a few other things um, coming up, I think we should take a moment to note that the great Pixar director and designer Ralph Eggleston died this week at the age of only 56, uh, which is no age at all. He is, of course, the director of For the Birds, which won a short film Oscar, but he worked on basically all of the Pixar movies, all of the big Pixar movies. Uh, He joined Pixar just before Toy Story, but he worked on Bugs Life and Toy Story 2 and Monsters, Inc. and Finding Nemo and The Incredibles, Cars, Ratatouille, Wally, Up, Up. Inside Out, Incredibles 2, and Soul. So, you know, he he was really, really important there. He'd also, of course, worked on things like The Simpsons um, and so on beforehand. But um, but yeah, only 56. So that's that's a real blow. And I think, um, you know, our, our thoughts go out to his friends and family and I think all of Pixar, where he was really, really valued. And also in sad news, uh, Charles B. Dean, who was uh, a a really rising star died at the age of only 32 after after illness. She is in, you probably don't know her name yet, but a triangle of sadness broke out at Cannes this year. It won the Palme d'Or, in fact, and she was a really important part of that film. Uh, so she seemed to be poised on the brink of, you know, of, of stardom, frankly, and, uh, and instead has been taken far too soon. So that's Charles B. Dean, who died at the age of 32. Well, that is, um, that's a tough week, actually. That's two people who died far too young um, and uh, and who will be much missed. Um, uh, there's no elegant way to, to sort of move on from that, but we're going to try and, <laughs> we're going to try and uh, get back to business as usual. We do have to talk about the fact that it is new Empire Week. It is also coming up on Empire Live uh, again. The London Podcast Festival is starting up. We will be there on Saturday next week. Uh, doing the Empire Podcast live on Saturday evening at I think seven o'clock. Is it seven? Does that sound right? That, that rings a bell. bell. Okay, so we're going to be doing a live show. This is not going to be the regular weekly podcast. We will be recording the regular weekly podcast next week, earlier in the week, and then we will do, be doing a completely separate live show on Saturday. So your only way to see that one will be to either come along and join us. I believe there are still some tickets left. If you go to King's Place, you can buy tickets to come along to that. Or you can join a, a, on a streaming ticket and you can see the show streamed for, I think, is it a week after it happens? It's It's a number of days at the very least. So if you can't be there on Saturday night, you can see us that way as well. Um, So if you go along to kingsplace.co.uk, you will be able to get all the tickets there for the London Podcast Festival and particularly, of course, for the Empire Podcast next week. It is also, very excitingly, New Empire Day. Woo woo! (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you for your loyalty. It has been noted and you will be paid this month. Uh, and uh, a new Empire Day. This is a very exciting one because we have Glass Onion on the cover of the new Benoit Blanc mystery, the follow-up to Knives Out. And we have all the secrets that are fit to be non-spoiled um, about that film in this new issue. It's going to be very exciting indeed. Well, the features in there, we spoke to Ryan Johnson um, five years on from The Last Jedi. Alex Godfrey spoke to him reflecting on that Star Wars film. Obviously, a bit of it has caused controversy among Star Wars fans. I'm sure you're all familiar with it, but um, it's a it's a really brilliant interview. He reflects on it um, and gives his thoughts about that five years on. He also shares some lovely um, candid shots that he's captured on his sets over the years um, and talks us through them um, on Looper, on um, Breaking Bad, on Brick, as well as some old ones in there, which is um, a really lovely feature. Other stuff we've got in the magazine, our very own Helen O'Hara spoke Ooh. to Anna de Armas and Andrew Dominic about <laughs> Blonde, right? Yes, Helen? I did. And that was a genuine delight. They're both fascinating people and... Uh, they have some hot takes, let's say, hot takes. I love her. I think she's she's really, she's doing in a way what I think Margot Robbie did when she started emerging, is that like has incredible taste, just superb taste in roles mm. and just proving to be an absolutely excellent actress who does a really good range of stuff mm. um, and goes in directions I think that people wouldn't expect. Very much so, yeah. And we've got some beautiful new images for that as well. Um, and our very own Ollie Richards here did a feature on bras. Hey. Talked to Billy Eichner. I right? did. I spoke. I spoke to lots of people on uh, on that film. Uh, it's it's a really great film. So this is a. It's the first major studio gay rom-com with actual gay people playing actual gay people, which, you know, we've seen stories before, but usually they'll ship in a straight person to make it more comfortable for the straight audiences because mm. God forbid they should have to cope with two gay people <laughs> being in love. But it's a, it's a really great film. I'm pretty sure I'm allowed to talk about it now, given it's in the magazine. It's really funny. It's really sweet. I think it's a really tough job for Billy Eichner to do, which is he's got all this pressure on him because it is the first and he handles it so well. But yeah, he was he was a really, really interesting guy. It was actually really touching talking to him, which I sort of wasn't expecting. He got quite emotional because this is, he'd wanted to be a leading man since he was a little kid. He would go to the cinema with his parents and he's like, one day I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a leading man in romantic comedy. And he said he got to Hollywood and they said, no, nope, you're not. You might be. You might be the sarcastic best friend in a sitcom oh. if you're very lucky. Uh, so he said, like, to get the opportunity to do it is amazing. That is gorgeous. Luke McFarlane, I think everyone is going to be talking about a lot. He is. He is the other half of that romance in the film. Didn't know who he was before, really. He's done a lot of um, Hallmark Channel. He's done a lot comedies. of Christmas movies. Is what he's yes, done. Yes, he's done Including a lot of the them. Christmas movie last year, the gay Christmas movie. Oh, well, you're the expert in Christmas movies, Helen. So, so you would obviously know. You know every single one. But he's terrific in the film. So terrific. Like, yeah, it's really good. It was a, it was a really nice one to do. I very, very rarely enjoy writing, and I really enjoyed writing this one. <laughs> Ollie, are you sure about your career? No, not at all. Not even, not even a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so those are all in the issue. We've also got um, a feature on Gangs of London season two. Um, now even gnarlier action, I believe, is the takeaway from that one. In the news section, we look at the 
mad chaos in Gotham and all the dueling Batmans uh, that are out there. We've talked about the Banshees of Inisherin with Mark McDonough. We've got um, uh, Mike Flanagan's The Midnight Club. We have Halloween Ends. Uh, we have The Menu and loads more. And I'm very excited. We're going to talk about this a bit more in the review section. But in the at-home section, in Chris's, um, uh, Chris's section at the back of the magazine, they're revisiting Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan with William Actual Shatner. No way. The Wrath of Khan. The Actual death William of Shatner. Oh my God. Incredible film. Yeah, it's a jump-packed it issue, really is. folks. It and it's really out is. Now. Out now in all good and evil news agents. Or of course, you can go online and subscribe or sign up for the Empire VIP Club. It is all there. And as I say, do come along and join us if you can at the London Podcast Festival at Empire Live uh, next weekend. Okay. I think it's time for a guest, don't you? Mm. And oh boy, did we have a guest for you this week. <laughs> I am delighted that we are saying hello, Blackbird. Take that, Joe Cocker. Uh, this week to Michael Flatley, who is basically one of the world's great dancers historically. So he's an Irish-American. He co-created Riverdance originally for the Eurovision halftime show, kids. Um, and then that that began and sort of just spawned this in enormous globe-spanning phenomenon. Flatley himself went off and did Lord of the Dance on the back of that as well. He became basically a better ambassador for Ireland than even Mr. Tato. Uh, he once held the Guinness World <laughs> Record for the fastest feat for the number of taps per minute um, because he did genuinely does have mad skills as a dancer. But we are here today to talk about a film that he wrote, directed, produced, I think starred in, and I, I think made the tea for and shot in his house, I believe. That's Blackbird and it's out this week. And we sent Chris along to talk to him recently uh, on the basis of only being able to see a small part of the film. I'm afraid Chris hasn't seen the whole thing, um, but he was still able to have a great chat with Michael Flatley. Please enjoy. Hey everyone, it's Chris here. Just jumping in real quick ahead of the interview with Michael Flatley to tell you that if you are looking for a, you know, a slightly tongue-in-cheek interview with the Lord of the Dance, the man who scares a bejesus out of Chandler Bing, whose legs flail about as if independent from his body, this isn't that interview. I know that Blackbird, which I hadn't seen at the time I interviewed Michael Flatley, is getting, shall we say, less than generous notices. And spoiler alert, in a few minutes, Ollie Richards will reveal that he wasn't really a fan. And I know that it's very easy to poke fun at the movie and at the idea of Flatley doing this as his feature film debut in his 60s. And God knows I have done that elsewhere. But I saw this interview more as a chance to sit down and dig into the why of it all. Why, after an incredible record-breaking career as one of the most famous dancers of all time, did Flatley decide to not just act in a movie, but to write, direct, produce and part-fund it as well? Why has it taken so long for the movie to come out, to the point where people began to think it might never see the light of day? So this interview will hopefully bring you those answers, and Flatley himself was cordial, genial and candid company. So here you go. Michael Flatley, do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the writer, director and star of Blackbird, Michael Flatley. How are you, sir? Hiya, Chris. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm delighted to be here, buddy. Oh, no, absolutely. Where, where are you at the moment? Where in the world are I you, sir? I am in uh, Castle Hyde in County Cork in Ireland. All right. So this is, this is the home. This is, the, uh, this, is your, this is your gaff, so to speak. This, 
bit. Yeah, yeah. I just had a, a beautiful swim in the Blackwater River about 30 minutes ago and uh, clear my head to be ready for you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Michael, I live right by the River Thames. I, I, I'm not going to attempt what you just did because if I swam in the Thames, I would be melted, I think. <laughs> it wouldn't work. Yeah, I know. No, maybe work. not. Absolutely no. not. But uh, but listen, uh, did I miss anything out when I, when I said writer, director, star, also executive producer of Blackbird yes. uh, as well? Yeah. Did I miss out any jobs? That, uh, is there anything that, that, that I've overlooked in that yes, list? Yes, I also swept up the place and cleaned up after everybody was going home. That's <laughs> 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 my job. And I served the drinks when no one's looking. <laughs> so catering and yeah, cleaning yeah. and the whole the whole kit and caboodle because That's this is it. this is very much a, a labor of love for you this movie I, i'm sensing yeah it is listen it's since i was six years old i grew up on uh on, on gary cooper john wayne uh, humphrey bogart and uh, and all the old movies and when i was a little child i used to follow my mother around the house telling her i want to be uh, in movies and do this and i made up stories and all that but you know then the dance thing took over and uh, sort of changed my course a little bit. But um, yeah, it was in the back of my mind, there was the bucket list, uh, you know, and, and then finally uh, the, my legs ran out. I had too many miles on me, uh, Chris, and, and uh, they, they called time on me, uh, St. Patrick's Day and 2016. And so uh, my dear old Irish mother called and she said, yeah, no more excuses. You promised you were going to do, do a movie. So I, uh, I, I gave her my word. Sadly, mom didn't make it through 2016. God called for her on December 28th, but I kept my promise and I'm delighted I did. I have to say as well, it's, it's fascinating that you have thrown yourself into this head first. It's not yeah. just that you decided to make a movie. You have decided to make a movie. You've, you know, obviously written it, you've directed it, you've starred in it. Uh, there was no suggestion for you at all of, of getting yourself up to speed, starring in a movie first or writing a movie first or directing something else. This is a whole thing all, all in one go. That's, that's, a, that's a hell of a bite of an apple. Yeah, I suppose when you put it that way. But you know what? I don't have an awful lot of uh, runway left, Chris. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not going to auditions in my 20s. You know, I'm going to have to make up a little bit for for lost time. But I believe and I and one of the reasons I made this movie, it's very important to me. All the young people, well, not just young people, everybody, but mainly young people that are dreaming to do something in their life, something special, or they want to be somebody or they have this big dream and they're afraid, they're scared to death of what people might think or people might say or what critics might say. And uh, I want to encourage them that anything is possible. I don't care where you're from, what's your race, religion, what's your uh, nationality or, 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 where, or anything. Uh, the main thing is if you have a dream and you, you're really willing to work for it and you believe in it, you can have anything. This is a crazy world, but we're all here for a short time. Get up and take your best shot. Stop listening to others. Just go for it. And that's kind of what I did. Because uh, literally on your website, uh, if you go to your website, you, you'll know this, Michael, of course, but I'm just telling the, the people at home, literally the first thing on your website is an image of you wearing a lovely fedora, by the way. Uh, you really do rock that uh, in a way I possibly couldn't. Uh, and is the the legend, follow your dreams. And that so that's the mantra for you. Is it that's, that's the the guiding principle for you? My whole life, nothing is impossible. Follow your dreams. And this is one of those things and my dancers used to ask me for years, are you going to make a movie? Are you going to make a movie? And, and I used to ask myself that over a couple of martinis sometimes after the 
So, uh, yeah, no, it is. Nothing is impossible. I mean, you know, I'm not, this is not going to be the next big Oscar winner, but I did it. I bloody did it. And I'm delighted I did it. And I gave an, a huge amount of people their first chance to be in a major or feature film. I gave a lot of people their opportunity to get a start. And I'm glad I did. It's a, it's a fantastic experience. It's a serious movie. But uh, my God, we left our side sick on set there. Some of the days and some of the nights and everything that could go wrong did go wrong. But we laughed our way through it. We worked our way through it. We got through it, you know, an awful lot of the, the scenes that we shot by necessity, we had to shoot in the uh, middle of the night or the early hours of the morning, two and three in the morning. Uh, one of the, the club that I had rented, restaurant club, uh, I couldn't get some of the nights. And because of the filming schedule and because of the overhead, what it costs every day, we had no choice. We had to film every day. So there was very little sleep. You know, uh, I, there was a, a poker scene I shot with Eric Roberts and, oh my God, it was got to be three thirty four in the morning. I could hardly see him. And we were trying to remember the lines. We were trying, <laughs> we were trying to do it. And, uh, and I was so chuffed because, listen, he's, he's a legend. He's one of the greatest stars in Hollywood. And I'm all of a sudden sitting across the poker table from him. How cool is that? You know, I'm glad I did this. Whatever happens, I'm delighted I did it. I, I'm fascinated about this movie for so many uh, reasons. Uh, and, and what you said there, that your dancers had all the way through over the years have been saying to you, you know, are you going to make a movie? Are you going to make a movie? Had you yeah. had offers? I imagine you must have been fending offers off and turning, you know, turning people down left, right and centre. Well, no, I, thank you for saying that. It wasn't quite that, uh, that much, uh, but I certainly did. Uh, from the 90s, I started getting a lot of offers to do films and to do different things in that area. Um, I wouldn't take them, and I'll tell you why, Chris. It's a very simple reason. For the first 30-some years of my life, I was spent my life digging uh, ditches and, and, and foundations on construction sites. And uh, finally, I was making a few quid. I was touring the world. The show was successful. There was no chance in hell I was going to take the time off to go and make some movie and hope it might do well when I, I knew I had, you know, the bit between my teeth. And uh, I worked too hard to get that far. There's no way I was going to give that up. Now, that doesn't mean I still didn't want to do a film. I just wouldn't give that up. And so I stuck with it. And, um, and then when I retired, they had a little light bulb went on. Well, it's kind of my mother hit me on the side of the head with a frying pan over the phone. But uh, there, was, there was that little moment where I said, listen, pretty soon you're going to be back working every day again. Take a few months, get this done, get it out of your system, get on with it. And you never know. And I'm glad I did. The, the first thing you see in the film is the title card uh, of your production company, Dance Lord. And yep. But otherwise, this is not, and people, young know, people might be expecting you to have made either a, a musical or a dance movie. You haven't done that. You have made, as you said, a, a serious film, a, a thriller, a spy movie, a, a revenge tale. Was there any temptation to throw a dance number or two in there, Michael, or was that something that you just wanted to avoid? Yeah, no, I listen, it would have been the easy thing to do, I guess. And, and you're not the first one who, who noticed that or mentioned that, to be honest. Um, but no, I, you know, I think I think that would have been a, a little bit of a cop out. Now, I have to say, even since this trailer went out, 
I've had a lot of offers that have come in on the back of the trailer. Uh, one of them is a Western. One of them was a, a dance film. And there was another one, uh, a, a sort of a boxing fighting thing. Um, and a few things like that. And, and I, I will look at it. I don't have an awful lot of time right now, even though I'd love to do another film. Mm-hmm. I don't have an awful lot of time to do that. But I'm glad that I took the, the hard path first. I'm glad I did this and uh, cut my teeth, learned a little bit as the went. But as I said, we had a great time making it mm-hmm. and a really big, big learning curve. You know, directing the shows every night uh, and directing live on stage, that's something that you just, you just, you just know when you have to do, you have to be there. There are decisions that need to be made at split seconds and they're different ones every night. So I'm sort of, I'm used to that. I'm used to being quick in those situations. And film was different in that, you know, you get to reshoot the scene. But that's not entirely true. This is not a Hollywood film. This is not, you know, a big budget film. We have to run at the speed of light to keep up to make sure that we didn't run behind and to try and make sure we got it all in in the number of days uh, that we were trying to get it finished in. And it was difficult. I, it was very, very difficult. Anything that could go wrong did go wrong. People forgetting their lines, uh, some of the wardrobe malfunctions. Um, as I said, shooting some of the scenes in the middle of the night. And the the end scene in the film, or one of the end scenes, is a big shootout scene. And uh, I got sunstroke. There was no cloud cover. Uh, and it was brutal heat. There was absolutely no breeze. And so I spent half of that day in the ambulance beside the set there, uh, taking me in and out to do the next part of the scene just to get it done. And we didn't have another day. We didn't have another day. And, you know, it's part of what I learned in the shows. All of those other actors, all of those other people, all that crew, they're counting on me to get this done. They're looking at me saying, what's what's next? What do we do now? You're not well. What do we do? You just have to get on with it. And that's, I think, listen, I learned that back when I was working, digging ditches. Just get it done, whatever it takes. Your job is to do your job. And people count on you for that. And I, I think that's a big part of this. Mm. And, and and the physical side was okay. I mean, you're, you're, you, when your knees are screaming at you at three in the morning and there's a, an action sequence and, and you go, Michael, why did you write this for yourself? <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> you're not wrong there. Oh my God. You know, um, very few nights I get a full night's sleep without the, the shaking uh, in the legs and my neck is bad and my back and a few things, but I'm not complaining. You know what, Chris, I followed my dream. I'm happy with this pain. I'll take the pain. I did it. I did it. Whatever happens now, I did it. I'm thrilled. I did that. I often say this to the young lads in the show. There's no shame in failing. The shame is in not getting off your ass and trying in the first place. That's the big thing. Get up. Once you've started, and, and they often say, oh, that was a huge failure that, about that guy over there. Well, the bigger the failure, the bigger the challenge he had to make up his mind to face. Give him credit. Once he decided to go for it, he's already a winner. Regardless of the outcome, he's already a winner. That's how I see it. You must have known as well going into this that there would be a fair amount of scrutiny of this project and that there would be a fair amount of people ready to pounce on yeah. it. Yeah, and we both know that. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, was that something that you were a prepared for, and b wanted to take a, take in your stride? Listen, it's it's never fun when people say you know things that are not nice about you or or your work or whatever it is, and I'm sticking my neck out. It's something completely different and completely new. I go back to what I told you. I did this for all the people out there that have a dream to do something and they're afraid to do it. You have to be just ruthless and and block all that out and go for it. We're we're here for a short time in this world. The last thing I want in my life is to be lying on my deathbed and saying, Jesus, I I wish I would have just tried that. I wish I would have tried it. Why did you not? Well, I was so afraid. Don't be afraid. Get out there. Stand up and fight. And, uh, And whatever happens, I'm glad I did it. Let them say what they want. You know what? I can't say a bad word because the press has always been great to me. They've always been supportive. They've always been very good. So if one or two of them don't like this, it's okay. Michael, I tell you what, I, I, I didn't expect this to this interview to be a pep talk, but after this, I might quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are looking for a new lead dancer. <laughs> no, my, my knees, my knees are not going to allow me to do that. I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm going to deprive your show of the majesty of watching me dance. That's nobody. Nobody needs to see that. Um, but okay. there's, there's, there's just a couple of things uh, about the film as well. I wanted to, I wanted to ask about. Um, one is just basically the idea. So is this something that you've been sitting on for a long time, or is this something when you started to think, okay, I'm going to make my mum proud. I'm going to make this movie. Then you started coming up with the idea. Yeah, that's kind of how it worked. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a simple enough storyline. I mean, if you look into it, there's. You know, the good versus the bad, obviously, which is the, the dark and the light and the contrast that we need in every story, no matter if it's live or whether it's a film. And there's a sort of a love versus lust, the lust and the temptation that all of us at times go through in our lives. And then there's the character himself. There's, a, there's darkness. He's trying to run away from himself and his past. Run away from his past, yeah, but he's trying to run away from himself. And, of course, we all know that you just you can't do that. There comes a time. When you have to say, it doesn't matter what people say or do, stand up, just stand there, stand your ground and go for it. Whatever it is, face into it. And I think that that's what this character does. Uh, But I think if you, you know, people are going to take the film at face value. But if you if you watch it again and look deeper, there's an awful lot more in this than might first appear to be on that screen. Mm. Uh, That's the advice I'd give you. There's one thing I wanted to clear up as well, because obviously the this movie was was meant to come out a couple of years ago, and uh, there are reports that it screened in the Raindance Festival in, in 2018. Um, I know you've said on Instagram and in various interviews that there were pandemic-related issues that, that led to the delay, but can you clarify why the delay was so long and how, how frustrating was that for you? Yeah, very frustrating. I mean, first of all, the Raindance thing, that was just a buddy of mine and asked me uh, that he could I screen the film. I think he had somebody who fell out. I didn't have a film ready. We had what they call an assembly cut, which is just a very, very rough cut. Uh, so that's why we didn't invite any press or show it to anybody because, you know, it would have been a disaster. Uh, so that was not ready. And uh, for the longest time, I wanted to reshoot a couple of scenes, but I could not for the life of me get the actors, the crew and the location all to agree at the right time. It was an impossibility. So then I uh, proceeded to re-sort of 
juggle it a little bit so that uh, I could edit around things, move things into places, move the, the sequence a little bit and the shots a little bit to try and keep the flow and in fact quicken the flow to the best of my ability without having to reshoot the scene. Enter COVID, you know, uh, which really, you know, sort of threw everything out the window. But then it was a blessing in disguise because I ended up getting Sinead O'Connor, the world's greatest voice, to do the outro track. And I'm over the moon. It's a dream come true uh, for her to do that. So that, that turned out to be a blessing in many, many ways. And plus, um, Ben Rosenblatt, a Hollywood producer, saw my film in uh, Monaco at the film festival, and he loved the film. And he gave me a few suggestions and said, do you mind if I have a go at it? And so I gave it to him, and he really sharpened it up. He's a very smart man and huge credentials. Uh, so it was another blessing in disguise. So have you got the bug now? Uh, there's been talk of another film at, at some point? Yeah, I've got, as I said, I had a few offers, but I'd love to. I, I, I suppose, I'd, yeah, I'd love to try it again. I just, right, I, right now, I don't have the time. I just don't have the time. Maybe possibly next year or the year after that, if, if everything works out. But uh, uh, we'll see where we go. It's in the hands of the gods. Well, Michael Flatley, it has been an absolute pleasure. And I'm glad to go now, but thanks so much for your time. Uh, Chris, thanks for being gentle with me. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And we'll see you again, mate. God bless you. And best of luck with your new uh, child. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Take care, sir. Thank you. Cheers. Okay, on to this week's films. Now, we will be talking about Blackbird because one of us, one lucky soul among us, has had the chance to see Blackbird. Um, but we'll save that up for a minute or two. Um, we're going to start with 3,000 Years of Longing, which on paper is extremely exciting. This is the new film from George Miller. That's George Mad Max Fury Road Miller. Um, it stars Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton. And it is the story of an academic who discovers essentially a genie in a bottle. And it's not even Christina Aguilera. That's disappointing. So yeah, so um, I think I'm the only one who's seen this. This is, it's a really fascinating film, I thought, in some ways. So it's, a lot of it takes place in a hotel room, basically. On this trip to Istanbul, uh, Tilda Swinton plays Alethea Binney, which is an amazing name. She's a narratologist, so she is a student of stories. And she accidentally unleashes this djinn, played by Idris Elba, who doesn't have any other name. He's just the djinn. And he's he's like, great, you've got three wishes. But she's very wary because as a narratologist, she knows that you know making three wishes usually ends very, very badly for people. So she uh, is kind of like, mm, you could be a trickster. I don't know if I can trust you. And to, to kind of gain her trust and explain what he's about, he starts telling her the story of his life, how he came to be trapped in the bottle in the first place, how he got put back in the bottle uh, on other occasions, and basically all the sort of tragedies of his life, all the ways that love and loss and wishes and desires have kind of screwed him up, essentially, and screwed up, in fairness, the people who he was trying to, you know, give wishes to. And it's mostly quite lovely. Like there are, there are all these kind of, as he tells these stories, you know, we essentially go on these flights of fancy back in time. We see, you know, the court of the Queen of Sheba and King Solomon coming to visit. We see the court of Solomon the Magnificent in Istanbul and, and you know, that at the height of its powers and its glory and all of its kind of trappings. And it's, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautifully put together. You could argue there's a little bit of kind of Orientalism and kind of exoticism um, in some of the stories, but you know when it looks as gorgeous as this, it's sort of hard to um, 
complain too much. And a lot of it is, of course, based on Islamic art and Middle Eastern uh, culture and so on as well. I think I had a little bit more of a problem with the way the story wraps up because it really takes its time going through all of these tales from his past and, and talking about where he's come from and where he's been and then seems to rush through Alethea and the Jinn's story in the present. And it feels really kind of crammed into the film's last act uh, in a way that I find a little bit disappointing personally. That said, I mean, we gave it four stars. I want to be very clear. This is a positive mm. review. Beth saw it, absolutely loved it. Um, and I don't disagree with anything she's written in that review. I think, I think she's right. I just felt like there was a little bit more that it could have been pushed or something in the present day to make it work. But I mean, if you've got Idris Elba and and Tilda Swinton just having a chat in their dressing gowns, you know, that's still kind yeah. of enough to carry a film. Yeah. <laughs> you, can kind of, you can, even when he's not at his best, you can always rely on George Miller to give you something you haven't seen before, can't you? Like, Very much. The guy's yeah. always got a vision. Yeah. And I feel like there's like images from this and moments from this that are kind of lingering in my head like a week after I saw it. So I feel like that, in that sense, it's really powerful. It's beautifully, beautifully done. I, I do feel like some of the, my criticisms are nitpicks, but also they did linger with me. Like Alethea, who again is meant to be an academic, lives in a house in Primrose Hill. A house. No wonder she has trouble naming her heart's desire. She already has everyone's heart's desire. <laughs> anyway, that's a perhaps a small issue that would only annoy people who live in London. But there you go. I had to share it. Anyway, 3,000 Years of Longing, four stars from Empire. How does it compare to Mad Max Fury Road for you? And this also seems like a very interesting role for Idris Elba. Like, if you were to think... He was a cast in this. I'm not sure you, he would be top of your list. He seems like a really interesting casting. How does he? How does he? He's fare? very good. He's got a lot of that kind of sense of wounded power uh, to him as the Jin, like a guy who's been through some shit and seen some shit, and is still, but is is mighty and is powerful, but only to a limited degree. Um, and he just has so much empathy in this story as well. It's not all about him being trapped in a bowl. It's also about him wanting the best, genuinely for for some of these people that he's met over the years. So, um, yeah, I thought he was superb casting. It really, really, I think he's the standout rather than than Swinton this time actually, because we've seen this mm. kind of slightly uptight academic figure, you know, from her before in, in one variation or another. But I think he's great. And yes, in terms of George Miller, it doesn't have maybe the obviously the propulsiveness or the the elegance, I think, of, of Mad Max Fury Road, but it does have that kind of lyrical fairy tale structure, which is which is really nice. Sophie, let's start with you on me time. Yeah, so this is out on Netflix already. Um, it stars Kevin Hart as Sonny Fisher, who is um, a very devoted stay-at-home dad. He takes that role very seriously. He's very militant about the house. He's head of the PTA, etc., etc. And he's got this friend, this old friend, played by Mark Wahlberg, whose character name is, and I can't stress this enough, Hook Dembo. Hook Dembo, what a name. And... Um, They've been friends for years. They always used to spend Hook's birthday together, but Hook is a bit of a party guy. He gets them, gets them into a bit of trouble. And so they've sort of grown apart over the years. And the the film basically is about Sonny having some me time and having some separation from the kids. Maya's spending time with them. And Sonny ends up going to Hook's um, 44th birthday party and they reunite and it goes from there. Um, I went into this with very, very low expectations. Um, and it sort of... 
it, it exceeded them a little bit. Um, this is a very silly film. Um, there's lots of silly moments. There's Mark Wahlberg is having a great time, I think. And Kevin Hart does, does dad very well, I think. Like, I believe him as, as a dad. I don't know if anyone else mm. agrees, but he, he's, he's really nice in that role. He's done a few of those kind of roles lately, I feel. Yeah, this is very silly. There's a lot of silly set pieces. There's a, there's a sequence involving, um, Kevin Hart going to the toilet and a lion coming out, coming around the corner, which I assume can only be a deleted scene from Beast. I'm guessing <laughs> they didn't want to put that in there. And yeah, some of it is a bit grating at times at how silly it is, but there is there are some funny moments and there is a bit of sincerity in this film, I think, a little bit about sort of friends growing apart and being a stay-at-home dad and who's the breadwinner in the relationship. Maybe I'm giving this too much credit. I don't know. Helen, I mean, you might agree. You might disagree. I mean, but because yeah but I don't know it kind of like I was like oh I kind of like this more than I thought I was going to I don't know maybe I was just particularly susceptible when I watched this last night there's a certain level of sincerity to this this is quite sweet but it is also very very stupid yeah I I think it's very very stupid (laughs) I feel like I I really like Kevin Hart actually increasingly I think Kevin Hart is really Mm. uh, fun and he's he's good in this kind of light comedy and he's good in slightly more serious comedy like we saw from him was it Fatherhood um a few months ago where it's it's you know it's got a little bit more heart and more kind of groundedness to it and it's actually a lovely lovely film this is so by the numbers the plot of this film is mm. so by the numbers that i just find it really difficult to even concentrate on it at times and i think i feel like it wasted mark Wahlberg to a large degree and and didn't uh, you know he again he can do this kind of thing if you want this kind of thing he can do it and it didn't really give him the chance and none of it really it's hung together for me. not actually in it that much. No, he isn't. Yeah, yeah, not as much as you'd think from how they've kind of promoted it. He's not in it as much as you think. It's, Kevin Hart's definitely the yeah. lead. I would like to shout out um, Ilya Isarelis Paulino, who plays um, an Uber driver called Thelma, I think yeah, she's, she's called. Yeah, she's funny. Who's really, yeah, really funny. She's, fun. she's really yeah. funny. I've never seen her in anything before. Yeah, the, it, it is, It you know, it's very silly. It's it It really rushes its kind of emotional... Um, sort of realizations in the last act. It really rushes all that stuff and sort of doesn't go anywhere that you don't expect it to. But um, for something very easily watchable and sort of not that hard work, it's it's all right to whack on on Netflix on a on a Thursday night. I would say I would give it a three, but maybe that's a bit generous. Well, I'm afraid Sophie, our official Empire review, didn't agree with you. We gave this film two stars. All right, and next we have The Forgiven. Now, this is the new film from John Michael McDonough um, and stars Ray Fiennes and Jessica Chastain as a bickering, unhealthy, very wealthy married couple who are on their way to a party in the desert thrown by Matt Smith, who plays a friend of theirs. Um, He's basically renovated a Saharan castle to create this holiday home for himself and has invited all his unbearable posh mates to come and visit him. Just one problem, or the first of many at least, um, Fines and Chastain hit a child or hit a, hit a young man on the road to the party and kill him and turn up at the party basically with the body of this kid in the back of their car going, you know, we had this accident, we don't know what to do you know, help, call the police, whatever. Um, so uh, they then have to go through the process of finding the, the children, the, the guy's parents and dealing with all of the issues that this raises. This is basically like a racist the movie. 
Is that the movie we've all been waiting for? I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. It's 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 a very look. At, at times, it's very funny. Um, in an awful way, these people are irredeemably awful. Matt Smith is the best of them, and he still uses phrases like "these people," you know. So it, it's it's not a portrait of good people. This is a portrait of of absolutely awful, awful humans, and and basically all different flavors of racism from the relatively, you know, sort of just exoticizing racism to the outright, like, diatribes against people from other countries. So it's um, not the most fun uh, to spend time with any of these people, even though they have an amazing house, just to be clear. It is amazing. It looks gorgeous, but, like, it raises very, very interesting and pertinent questions about the ethics of adopting essentially a castle in Morocco and hiring a bunch of essentially servants and acting like the lord of the manor uh, in you know in the way that people uh, in the way that imperialists did 100 or 150 years ago so yeah there are some thorny issues raised and when i say it's funny it is you are laughing at these awful people but sometimes also at um just the way people react to them as well, which can be very funny. One of the one of the uh, the staff at this mansion uh, at one point is saying, oh, "I just can't wait to get away from these people and work with decent people, maybe on the executive floor of an intercontinental hotel." And that <laughs> that struck me as very funny because, <laughs> sweetie, That's, I mean, this sounds an incredibly difficult comedic line to walk. I mean, it sounds like it's set itself a huge challenge. How does it how does it do with that? I think not super brilliantly. Um, we've given this film, uh, you know, a, a negative review, and I, I kind of, I think that's fair. Even though I probably liked it a little bit more than than Caitlin Quinlan, our reviewer, it's it's the writing is a little stiff, and the writing is a little bit in your face, and it can be a little bit uh, preachy. I think at times, um, so it it didn't work brilliantly for me. But I did. I didn't find it irredeemable either. Obviously, with with cast like this, you're going to have good performances. You're going to have some good lines with John Michael McDonough involved. It just doesn't quite hang, hang together. So we gave this two stars. Okay. So now it's the time we've all been waiting for. We have seen the trailer. We have heard from Michael Flatley, Ollie. Tell us about Blackbird. Well, I mean, it helps to talk about it. When you've been through a traumatic experience, it helps to talk about it. Um, oh. I'll start I'll start with the positive, which is that, so this is very much on film to Michael Flatley. Uh, he wrote, directed, uh, stars in. I totally get that someone might want to play a James Bond character, know they're never going to get cast as that and think, I've got loads of money. I'm just going to do it myself. I have some respect for that. That's kind of where the positives end. Oh. So Flatley is playing a a very swiftly retired secret agent called Victor, also known as the Blackbird. Why it's called the Blackbird, never explained. Um, and he's retired because of some terrible secret in his past uh, that he cannot talk about. We see flashbacks to this, and you'll guess what the secret is absolutely immediately. Um, and he retires to a hotel, sorry, a bar uh, in the Caribbean, and he thinks he's out of the game, but someone comes back into his life and he's back in the game. And it just, it, I mean, it just does so many things wrong. It's, it's really <laughs> odd. Like almost every scene ends with the characters giving furtive looks at each other. It's like, oh my God, I can't, that thing that, that thing that we can't talk about is like 
yeah, there's a terrible secret between us and we can't say it. It's like, yeah, okay, but you need to give us some of that. You need to feed us some news on what's been actually going on. We need a plot. It's just a lot of, there's a lot of glances at each other. And he, so you expect with a spy movie where he's, he's saying this is about being a retired spy who's back in the game. You expect some spy stuff. There's none of that. There's maybe two action sequences. One is him punching a guy three times and then he dies. Uh, and the other one is a shootout that is so built up. And then I swear to God, it lasts literally no more than five seconds. And it's shot from above. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's a vanity project, basically. There's nothing, there's nothing more to it than that. I'm sure he had a lovely time doing it. And I think some audiences might have a lovely time in a kind of watching the room kind of way but Ooh. I don't think it's what he intended to make. Okay. So that's five stars then for Blackbird, is it? It, <laughs> it, depend, it depends from what position you're coming to it. In terms of what he intended to make, I'd say one. Uh, in terms of the time you might have, if you go in expecting an absolutely ridiculous spy movie made by Michael Flatley, Lord of the Dance... Something close to five stars. <laughs> okay, there. So we have it one somewhere between one and five stars. It's, yeah, uh, it's one Blackbird. of those. Yeah, one of those. We, do, we don't have an official Empire review yet. To be clear, it's not somewhere between. It's one or the other. <laughs> mm, okay. Sounds like it. It's definitely not two, three or four. Okay, fine. We're, no. we're in iCloud. All right. <laughs> uh, we'll finish up with another film uh, on Netflix that just dropped. That is I Came By. And this is the... Uh, it, this is, if you've seen the trailer, I'm not giving any spoilers away. This is the serial killer judge movie, um, which I cannot wait for my friends in the legal profession to see because I think it's going to be freaking hilarious to hear their reactions. But yes, we have, uh, this comes from director Babak and Vary, and it, uh, it stars George Mackay as a kind of idealistic, a kind of he's on a kind of weird crusade to take down the rich by spraying graffiti in, t in their houses, um, which you know I'm not sure is the most effective direct action, but I suppose at least it's direct action. But he gets more than he bargains for one day when he when he uh, breaks into the house of this retired judge um, who is played by uh, Hugh Bonneville. So if you want to call this Downton Stabby, I'm not going to stop you. And um, and yeah, Brilliant. so it be it becomes a game of wits. Can he? find the evidence kind of get away from this judge uh, and uh, you know get to safety so you've also got uh, Kelly McDonald playing his mum and you know there's some real tension in this film I mean I'm of course a scary scary cat as you know um, but I was scared uh, so it works in that sense but yeah I think it, it, it's it's a bit long for me it's nearly two hours and it could I think have been 90 minutes I'm not sure I need my murderous judges murdering people for that long, you know, you could have just kind of gotten through it a bit faster, I feel like. But but some interesting approaches and some some nice twists and turns in the plot. I don't believe we have an Empire review yet for that. I'd probably go three. I think I'd go three mm -hmm. personally. Um, but do look out on the site. That should be up over the weekend. All right. And that is it for this week's Empire podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be seeing how Sam Rockwell and Tom George run. 
because you see they're the star and director of See How They Run and they're going to be joining uh, us for an interview and see how they see wow. what I did there. And also, of course, uh, Chris and James are going to be back from their holidays, the lazy bastards, uh, and are going to be back to, <laughs> to rejoin the quorum. So hopefully it'll be... Um, They'll be able to tell us all about their exploits while they've been off. Uh, But until then, it is goodbye from Ollie. Goodbye. Thank you so much. It's goodbye from Sophie. Goodbye. I could. It was early in the morning, and I couldn't think of a. I couldn't think of a name, a funny name to <laughs> put in <laughs> when Riverside asked me for yeah, it. Yeah, we, ha- so we so haven't. Sorry. We haven't really done that the last couple of weeks. It's very bad. I've I've gone for three thousand years of podding, because, but only because it was mm. also very early in the morning, and I couldn't think of anything actually witty. Oh well. <laughs> uh, and it's goodbye from me. I am off to practice my tap dancing because you never know. I could be a <laughs> a, a spy star of the future. There could always be a sequel, Helen. Blackbird 2. Yes. The, the black, Blackbirdier. Blackbirdier. <laughs> Cannot wait. You heard it here first, folks. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye bye.